Welcome, Alternative News listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Community Radio. This is bringing light into darkness, news, and analysis. I'm your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are transmitting from Austin, Texas, for your listening edification. This show has been pre-recorded on Friday, March the 19th, to be replayed on Monday, March the 22nd, 2021. At 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Live in Austin, Texas, on KOOP 91.7 FM and streaming live at coop.org. You can listen live each Monday night from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time at koop.org. Many of the shows are archived at pedrogatos.org. All comments are welcomed and can be sent to Pedro at pgatos00 at gmail.com. That's pgatos00 at gmail.com. This is our 48th post-COVID show. A new world, but the same place. So stay tuned for a very informed and documented dialogue. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to have a recording of the show up on pedrogatos.org website for your closer scrutiny within the week. Again, thank you for joining us tonight, and thanks for inviting your friends to join us in future shows. So stay tuned. But first, in the battle of ideas, let's get ready to go to war. Pedro Gatos and bringing light into darkness Monday news and analysis since we began broadcasting on Co-op Radio in 2002. Has been investigating and seeking to present genuine truth-seeking perspectives of how U.S. foreign policy impacts majority populations around the world. We also seek to identify other human-generated behaviors that either create or aggravate human misery outcomes in the world that by definition are preventable and therefore reversible. Over the past 18 years, our record speaks to the veracity of our reporting. The impact of U.S. foreign policy in the world, on the world, population, is unrivaled in reach and in impact. Our presumption is that the U.S. population is a compassionate and social justice-driven people, that if we know the truth of the matter, we support policies that promote the most fair and democratic outcomes. The problem is, too often, we are misinformed by our government and our mainstream media. Therefore, this show is dedicated to critically evaluating all information before accepting it as believable and as worthy for becoming the foundation for building our worldview understandings upon. Tonight, we turn our attention to the presentation of Alexei Navalny, the Russian, is he a criminal or is he a dissident? With special guest Jeremy Kazmarov of Covert Action. Enjoy. Welcome, alternative listeners. This is 91.7 KOOP Hornsby, Austin. This is bringing light into darkness, Monday news and analysis. This is your host, Pedro Gatos, and we are recording an interview with Jeremy Kuzmarov. It is March the 19th, and we will be rebroadcasting this interview on Monday the 22nd. First, let me just welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness, a great researcher, writer, and author, Jeremy Kuzmarov. Jeremy, welcome back to Bringing Light into Darkness. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Jeremy is the managing editor of Covert Action Magazine. He's the author of four books on U.S. foreign policy, including Obama's Unending Wars back in 2019 and The Russians Are Coming Again, which is mainly the focus of our topic tonight. And he wrote that book with John Marciano, and it was published in 2018. I also wanted to mention that we will be reviewing an article that is full of important links and context for the heightening confrontation 
between the Biden administration and Russia and, and Putin, uh, calling him a killer and some other undiplomatic accusations, sanctions, and and all of this. And we're going to be reviewing this article somewhat. It's called, Is Russian Opposition Leader Alexei Narvani a Key Prop in a Psychological Warfare Operation Designed to Bring Down Vladimir Putin? What I wanted to do first, Jeremy, to provide our listeners some context, I wanted to take a step back and do a short overview of the National Endowment for Democracy and its connections or its relevancy as an outreach of sorts for the CIA. And this allegation that the NED is an outreach of the CIA is not empty conspiracy theory. In fact, in 1991, the Washington Post quoted one of the founders of the NED, Alan Weinstein, as saying, quote, a lot of what we do today, referring to the NED, was done covertly 25 years ago by the CIA, end quote. The NED was founded in 1983 when the spotlight on the CIA was so intense. This is, I think, after the Frank Church hearings of the late or 70s, where they revealed the incredible types of covert actions and assassination programs and things that were being done in the name of our country that we were not aware of. And so there apparently was a need to create a connection to continue those types of activities, but not through the CIA. And the National Endowment for Democracy considers itself an NGO, but it, it, it actually admits to taking funding from the U.S. government. And so... Robert Perry, who such, and he was a frequent visitor to this show, back in 2015, he was writing on the issue. This is when the NED was called out by the Russian uh, authorities and, you know, banned from the country, so, uh, so to speak. It was, you know, as a U.S. government-funded organization, it had been a major actor in the distribution of more than $8 million in a two-year period when this article was written, over 2000. I think it was over 2013-2015, was $8.74 million to Ru Russian non-governmental organizations. And part of the deal was is that the uh, MacArthur Foundation, Open Society Foundations, and the National Endowment for Democracy, they together transferred these types of monies between 2013 and 2015 to Russian NGOs. And they were actually leading political activities in Russia. And we have similar laws in our country that forbid uh, such activities. Robert Perry alludes to them and explains them in his 2015 article, Why Russia Shut Down NED Fronts, back in July 30th of 2015. He wrote that the Russia law required outside-funded political organizations to register as foreign agents, and it was modeled on a U.S. law, the Foreign Agent Registration Act. In other words, the United States government also requires individuals and entities working for foreign interests in seeking to influence U.S. policies to disclose those relationships with the U.S. Justice Department or face prison. In other words, you have to get registered as a foreign agent if you're going to engage in those types of deals as well. But anyhow, the long of it is, or the short of the long of it is, is that we have been talking on this show for some time how images are made about what our foreign policy is supposedly doing, yet the activities that have gone on actually are the types of activities that we would jail other countries' people for if they were doing it in our country, yet we 
promote to the American public that we're promoting democracy with these efforts and such. And anyhow, so with that background uh, onto this NED deal, I just thought there's a whole issue here with this guy Navalny being poisoned. And before we kind of jump into that, I thought, can you, Jeremy, just share a little bit about the character of this man? You know, I want to separate out the fact that people with bad character can still be victimized by Russian authorities by poisonings. And while I don't believe that is the case, the U.S. is making the argument, uh, once again, without doubt, that the West is now, that Navalny was poisoned by Russian authorities, and that, as your article indicates, evidence of that claim has not been forthcoming. But before we get into the issues of the poisoning and such, I did find so much in your article that was really helpful. One was just the character of Navalny himself, his past associations, and uh, his uh, past uh, legal problems himself. And can you tell us a little bit about that, um, just to get started here tonight? Sure. Well, that's part of what's disturbing here is that, you know, the media has kind of created a hero of him, that he's this innocent victim poisoning, and that, you know, he's this good guy fighting the corrupt, evil Russian establishment. But, you know, if you look into his background, he has a background where he's connected with white supremacist organizations in Russia, and he was kind of trying to make the far right more respectable and part of the anti-Putin opposition. And he made these videos that are really very offensive that have a strong anti-immigrant flavor, and he's comparing immigrants to cockroaches, and, you know, he's saying, oh, the Nazis went too far, but you have to be kind of surgical in removing these parasites. I mean, it's really racist stuff, and deeply disturbing, and, this, you know, the media, uh, mainstream media is not paying attention to that, so mm-hmm. the American public, and it's often like educated audiences, liberal audiences, who are following the story carefully, a very misleading view about who Navalny is, and, you know, it's a pattern where the NED or CIA has supported some most regressive people in countries where the U.S. is intervening, mm-hmm. and this seems to fit this pattern. Yeah, the allusion to cockroaches. I remember the same language in the Ukraine 2014 Euro Maiden coup when they were up in Odessa. The coup forces and and, and their association, the, the coup forces cabinet itself with a half dozen or more folks in that cabinet were clearly connected to neo-Nazi type groups, this Voboda party and the uh, right sector as the other party at that time. But I remember that language I think it was cockroaches or whatever. This is a very regressive, I don't know, it's just very shocking to it, me. It's very disturbing language because yeah. that's when you're dehumanizing the people and referring to them as a low form of animal, you can justify very extensive atrocities directed against them. Which and is really right. whipping up hatred by yeah. minority groups, and it's really intolerable and disturbing. And I know you're probably familiar, but many of our folks may not be, but the incident at Odessa is one of the most horrific deals where people are, they're so scared by these neo-Nazi skinhead and everything else that were coming after them that they took refuge in this, I think it was some type of work, trade union building type of entity, but they set the building on fire. And then when people were trying to get out of that deal, there were camera shots of people getting shot as they tried to escape it, you know, but that's how you treat cockroaches. (laughs) You know, and, and they're making this guy into a liberal hero, and that he's—that's uh, what's disturbing. You know, that—that's the power of propaganda, and, and media can can distort things so badly and leave out, you know, so much about him that educated opinion really doesn't know about that side of him. 
Well, can you take a step back and bring us up to speed? Back in August, one of the things in your article, or one of the things that I discovered, was that Navalny was first examined in Russia, right, when this plane returned, and they found no traces of chemicals. But when taken to Germany, which their family asked and, and Russia obliged, they said there was, and, and they did this colonesterase inhibitor thing, which is just a way of some of these poisons land on a receptor site that has great involvement with the central nervous system as such. And so, but can you tease that out for us a little bit? Is it possible that both of these claims were true, that Navalny was poisoned, but that the poison, why would, why would it have not been apparent to the R Russian hospitalization examination he had, but to the German one? And, and then lastly, as you elucidate all that, can you also indicate that we just found out very recently that the CIA and the M16, the intelligence agencies of the United States and the UK had briefed Germany about the allegations of chemical use. And we don't know really the extent or the content of that, but that seems pretty prejudicial that you would have the, the two governments that are, that are the most interested in, in trying to create problems for Putin being the ones that are, are making these claims, yet still there is no evidence to support that, even though the UN got involved at the urging of the West. They've even indicated that there's not conclusive evidence. So can you speak to that, those connected issues for us? Yes, well, the, the, the second thing yeah, is very disturbing because they're applying sanctions before the investigation has been carried out, actually clarify what happened, because we really do not know exactly what happened. And it's obviously very suspicious if the Russian hospital is not reporting a poisoning and is originally treating him, why are they not reporting a poisoning? And, you know, if they were in on some kind of plan, I mean, they would have wanted him dead, so they, you know, they wouldn't have treated him. I mean, they treated him, nursed him back to health, and their report is that it wasn't the poisoning. Uh, it may have been diabetic shock. Uh, but, you know, Germany, I mean, the case is, is obviously very politicized. And, you know, Germany is, is anti-Russian, and there were the issue of the Nord Stream pipeline, and there were, you know, elements in Germany who want to block this pipeline. And, you know, it, it's possible uh, Germany's part of some kind of cover-up. But we don't know conclusively. I mean, it's possible he was poisoned. We also don't know if he was poisoned, who was behind it. Because right. That's the, key. the only proof of the Russian, right. Russian state is that then claim that, oh, only Russia has this nerve gas. Novichok, but that's actually not true. We know that Britain manufactured it. In fact, there was a plant, the Skirpal case, which is equally fishy. Skirpal was found like four kilometers from a British. Uh, well, well ex explain that case. That, yeah, ex that makes Novichok. Explain that. So explain that, that case Western to us, though. Would you? Services can make it. So yeah. there's, there's no proof that you know Russia is behind this, even if he was poisoned which was, it hasn't been corroborated. Right. So for our listeners that are not familiar, this was Skirpal poisoning in 2018, where there was a very, very quick leap, judge, jury, and executioner type of thing without any of the investigation being complete as well. And then also the same thing occurred in, two, was it 2018 or 17, the second of those airstrikes that, that Trump in Duma, right? We struck them before that investigation was even within a day, before that investigation had yielded any results as well and stuff. So there's a real pattern of taking yeah. a, of taking action of, of of this whole lack of due process. I mean, it's the epitome of arrogance in my mind that you, if you're going to attack a country, if you're going to bomb them, or you're going to do sanctions, 
you know, you better should have your ducks lined up to do such a, an amazing, powerful thing unless you, there's other issues going on. But can you highlight that? I mean, you mentioned the scurple, but I think our audience, some folks may not be really that fluent in the scurple case in which Russia has been found guilty without any opportunity to defend itself. But l- l- please... Um, Elucidate that for us a little bit more, as well as uh, the Duma case, if you're familiar with that, and the, and the parallels here. Yeah, I mean, all these cases you know, point to, obviously, uh, there's an underlying motive that they want to go to war beforehand, and they, they're never proving the case. So, you know, that these countries actually committed offenses, and it completely delegitimizes what they're trying to do. And, you know, in the chemical weapon case, I mean, whistleblowers have come out and said there was a cover-up, and, you know, they had evidence, or there was a lack of evidence to blame the Assad regime in Syria for these chemical weapons attack and their efforts to try and silence them. So this is, you know, really corrupt business, what we're seeing going on here. And the Skirpal case, you know, he was a double agent, and very fishy because allegedly he got poisoned on his doorknob, but then he was found in a park, you know, miles away, and yet happened to be near a plant where they're manufacturing these poisons in Britain. And, you know, they've never, they claimed to have these Russians who traveled there and that they were the ones who poisoned them, but... The case is, is really, at best, circumstantial. And, yeah, more sanctions had been ratcheted up at that time as well. So, I mean, there, there's really no legitimacy of these sanctions if, if you haven't proven your case. It shows, you know, corruption in our government. Absolutely. And I think it also shows corruption in our news and in our government. When you cite in your article about how Secretary of State Antony Blinken called Navalny a voice for the millions and millions of Russians, and you cited that Time magazine, the neoliberal kind of presentation of the mainstream media representative, if you will, compared him to Aaron Brockovich, who's that famed environmental activist. And then Richard Haas, the president of the Council on Foreign Relations, proposed that Navalny be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. Well, you just went through a, a number of things about him that question his character, but also he only had the support of around 2% of the population. This was something that you cited in there. So you're trying to create a paper tiger, so to speak, in a sense, I guess. But yeah, I mean, how can these types of high praises for this guy come from the highest levels of our government? Yet in your article, you actually talk about some of his criminal charges that seem to have be pretty substantive based on you. As you went and, and you in, uh, investigated I, that, did, did you find them to be a cre- credible charges? Well, yeah, and that's a question nobody's asking. Uh, it's assumed that he's a political prisoner of the Russian government, you know, and show the political per- persecution, but nobody's bothered to look into these legal cases. And you know, in some cases, for instance, in 2007, he was accused not by the Russian government, but by the you know, Bloco party of malfeasance. I have to double-check in the article whether it was theft of funds or misuse of funds uh, or trying to hijack the party for himself. So you know, it was the actual party making the accusation, not the Putin government. And then other charges were more local charges of corruption, where actually his cohorts were convicted. You know, one had to do with timber and uh, illicit profits from timber and sales. And another was very shady, because he and his brother had set up a shell company in Cyprus. You know, that's as shady it gets. I mean, we know that uh, Cyprus is used for as a money laundering haven for organized crime and other criminals. So this is no choir board. You know, if they're setting up offshore companies... In, uh, in Cyprus, there's good reason to suspect that something not kosher, 
And, you know, they were accused of laundering money for Yves Rocher and, and cheating them out of money in a contract for uh, transporting some of their cosmetics. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, they were found guilty. And then this human rights court, a very rare thing, is that the European human rights courts, inter- courts intervened to overthrow the verdict. But then when it came back in the Russian court, there was not enough evidence to dismiss it. So... I mean, you don't know for sure, but right away there's a red flag that he, he and his brother have this offshore company in Cyprus, and, you know, that a company like Yves Rocher, a very legitimate company, is accusing him, not the Russian government. The Russian government didn't introduce the charges, as with the, the, the theft of funds or, or abuse of his position in the, the Bloco party. So, uh, there, I mean, I, you know, I think it's worth more investigation, but... The evidence that we have would indicate there may be very strong grounds for him being in jail. Well, you you also point out, which I think is appropriate in your article, and, and we're, again, we're speaking with the author, uh, Jeremy Kazarov, uh, in his March 13, 2021 article in Covert Action called, Is Russian Opposition Leader Alexei Navalny a Key Prop in a Psychological Warfare Operation Designed to Bring Down Vladimir Putin? You mentioned that in late February of this year, I, su- I suppose, that Amnesty International stripped Navalny of prisoner of conscious status due to a history of hate speech. So these are a, a number of evidentiary components fill your writing piece, which I think makes it very credible to be questioning the credibility of this person and those that support him. And then also, in his aspirations to become a leader of Russia, I wanted to ask you, you know, before Putin came to power and, and, and under Yeltsin, it, it was just a, a big economic pilfering of their economy and the privatizing of everything and, the, and, and all of these Western nations were in there and such. And one of the reasons Putin is so popular to this day in Russia is the quality of life improvements for the majority of, of Russians subsequent to all that. Can you talk about a little bit about that government, that Yeltsin government that we were so, uh, you know, in bed with and what it did or did not do for the Russian people versus how this Navalny appears to be someone that would kind of take him back in that direction if he ever did gain power. But with this 2% of support, can you can you also document, is that from polling that you trust or multiple polls and but those th- th- those two questions mainly can you speak to the uh, the Yeltsin the Yeltsin government and the path that that Russia has taken since uh, since that time to now sure yeah and first let me also say that another shady thing about him the article points to is his association with oligarchs including one who's under investigation for corruption one of the richest men in Russia Mikhail Friedman so, you know, he's supposed to be this guy, you know, he heads this anti-corruption uh, movement and right. he does, you know, investigations, but he's associated with very corrupt figures from the Elton era, who some of whom are under investigation for corruption. You know, he'll only investigate Putin and Putin's people. And, you know, one, Mikhail Kordakovsky, who was jailed for 10 years for corruption, and he was, that relates to what you're, you know, asking about Yeltsin, because Kordakovsky was a key figure in the looting of Russia in the 1990s when the West pushed these rapid privatization programs known as shock therapy, and it led to the sell-off of Russian state assets and you know, state industry at fire sale prices <clears throat> and in a corrupt bidding process. And it, it empowered these oligarchs who basically looted the country, and the social safety net was cut. And, you know, foreign oligarchs and, and foreign interests moved in to exploit the economy. 
and you know were able to get away with with paying no taxes. And you know Putin started to reverse all that when he came in in 2000. That's why he's so hated in the West. Is that you know he imposed more nationalistic policies to prevent like capital flight, and you know he didn't go back to full scale uh, nationalization, but he has taken measures to to reassert Russian sovereignty over its economy, to go after corrupt people and tax evaders, and to impose higher tariffs. And to keep you know Russian industry in the hands of Russians and not foreign corporations. So, you know, and, and as you say, yeah, Navalny, some of his statements have indicated he would go back to the Yeltsin era. You know, he's been a neoliberal. He was a member of the Yabloko Party, which was a neoliberal party promoting the free market. And according to people who worked for him, he promoted more you know small business growth. He never really cared or showed any concern about poverty levels or things like raising taxes or more left-wing oriented policies. Uh, he was always more on the right, and a very real danger. Yeah, there, there's belief in many Russian circles that he is a foreign agent, and there's some evidence that his organization you know, is reaching out to the British. You know, it's in the article. Their tapes have come out that they're going to try and expose certain Russian banks for corruption, and that would help British banks gain more of a foothold in the Russian market. So he could be actually, you know, doing the work for foreign intelligence services, and he, you know, in that respect, he may very well be a traitor, a turncoat, and and turn things back to the Elton era. And that's why there's so limited support because Putin, there is, I think, disaffection with Putin, and many Russians may feel he stayed in power too long, but. And there are, you know, certain strong-arm policies, but on the other hand, yeah, Putin has, you know, stood up for Russian interests around the world and reasserted Russian sovereignty uh, over its economy, and the economy has improved significantly from the Yeltsin era for ordinary Russians. So they know things could be a lot worse, and they know at least, you know, Putin is is a Russian who will, you know, fight for and promote Russian interests. So I think many Russians are still supporting Putin and Navalny has very limited support. Even people at those demonstrations, a lot of them may have wanted a change with Putin, but they weren't necessarily for Navalny. Jeremy, we need to take a quick break for the cause. I want to remind folks that you are listening to Bringing Light into Darkness, Monday News and Analysis. This is your host, Pedro Gatos, along with my guest, Jeremy Kuzmarov of Covert Action. This is 91.7 KOOP from the capital city of Austin, Texas. 91.7 on the FM dial. We'll be back right after this. 